0: Well, hello there, and welcome to season nine, episode five of the Simplify Multiply Show. And today I'm gonna be talking with Mark Pittman. Now Mark and I met not too long ago when I was doing some research around nonprofits and charity as it relates to personal branding. And I was doing a workshop on this and and Mark and I were introduced by a a friend of mine and we just hit it off from the get-go. And Mark also recently released his latest book, The Surprising Gift of Doubt, which he so kindly sent me a autographed copy, which I read immediately. <laughs> it's a great read. And what I love about Mark is he's created a very distinct personal brand. And I'm like, Mark, I've got to have you on my show. So it's that quickly that you can actually pick up on somebody's personal brand just through an interaction as simple as a half an hour conversation or even reading their book and having an experience working with them and learning from them. So let's go ahead and talk about bravely making your business 1000% you with Mark Pittman.
1: If you are a solopreneur and want growing your business to be easier, welcome to the simplify and multiply show. Hosted by award winning creative, business development expert, and tactical coach Terry Pappy. The Simplify and Multiply show promises to become your practical, tactical, and motivational guide to succeeding as a solopreneur.
0: Hey there, Solo. I'm Terry Pappy, and I created Simplify and Multiply to provide you a place where you can discover how to make your business more profitable. I'm going to do this by helping you remove the complexity from marketing and business development. So if that sounds good to you, listen in. Welcome to the Simplify and Multiply show. Mark, how are you today?
2: I am thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me as a guest.
0: Oh, absolutely. And so I, in the intro, I talked about how you and I met and how I was doing research into um, charities, fundraising, nonprofits, and how that can really align and support a personal brand. And in this conversation, uh, which really was birthed in that conversation with you, I was like, oh, my gosh, Mark, I got to have you on the show because you have a very unique style and brand. And you're unabashed about it, but you're also not like pushing it in an arrogant way on people. You know, you're just being you. And so given that this is the season around bravely making your business 1000% you and what I mean by 1000% you, it's like, okay, it's one thing to have your brand and this is what you do. And, you know, and it's kind of like, okay, everybody's playing that game. But where where are we taking it another level where we're really stepping into becoming not necessarily a celebrity, but allowing ourselves to really show up and show all dimensions all sides of who we are as a solopreneur as a you know consultant trainer speaker coach wellness practitioner whatever the one person business kind of like bucket is and and I just I just had to bring you on and uh and and so let's let's start with that why don't you tell my listener about kind of like your journey in Really identifying once you went out on your own, identifying what brand you wanted to stand behind and represent Mm -hmm. who you were. So you not necessarily were more accepted into the business world that you wanted to go into, but more so you could be distinct and different. Right. What were some of the conversations and thoughts you were having as you were developing that?
2: Definitely about distinguishing, but also being comfortable in the way I'm distinguishing. So I didn't feel like I was faking it or, um, um, you know, the fake it till you make, it can be helpful at some points, but I didn't want to be inauthentic. I wanted to be authentically me, um, so that I could deliver whatever, uh, the, the part, the thing that I loved about this conversation, the fact that you put it as a conversation or a process is it's totally iterative. I started at 16 deciding I didn't want to be dependent on one income. Um, so I knew at that point, I'm going to have to be doing stuff for multiple streams of income and that, and I had been, um, I, I've been t- as as we talked about earlier, I grew up in a family where I had schoolwork and then I had my own homework as a pitman. So I read uh, Norman Vincent Peale and Dale Carnegie and Florence Littauer and all these books about. Plus your
0: dad. Right. Which I read about in your book yeah. was one that, you know, I don't know if he had like a background in NLP or something, but he always wanted to, you know, kind of like. I, what am i trying to say he was very intentional because i'm talking about, about language yeah. you know where he oh, he really wanted you to be aware of what came out of your mouth was kind of like how you perceived and looked at and and created the world you live in and so right. he was always encouraging you to be positively oriented whenever you'd make an expression or say something or judge something and i thought i was like how rare is that? Because we've all, well, I don't right. even want to get going no, down it's that so thing. so cool but... <laughs> because,
2: so I was steeped in this culture of you can do what you want to do. You can be what you want to be. Um, and you have to, you have a, there's an, a, there's an awareness too, when you're starting to choose words instead of saying, I can't afford that saying, I'm not going to spend my money that way. That was right. one of my dad's things mm-hmm. that helps you to think that way. So um, as I went through just assessments and and figuring out myself through high school and college, um, I learned that one of the things that I did well was leadership. I even tried to get out of it in college. I thought I was going to not do, not lead some groups because I was a freshman. What did I know? And within two weeks, I was asked, asked to be leading a group. So that was part of the kind of when I have found over the years, when people call on me to do something that I don't think I can do, but they believe it, and there's a number of them that believe it, and for now it's paying clients. When paying clients come to me and ask me to do something that I don't advertise anywhere and a number of them do that, that is usually an invitation for me to explore another part of who I am. So um, so all that had, I, I was prone to thinking uniquely and thinking about what's my, what's my fit? How do I, what's my perspective and take on things? Two things to answer your question that are very concrete for listeners is uh, in 1999, I Googled myself and I, I realized there was another Mark Pittman, Mark with a C, middle initial A, Pittman with the one T. Oh, no way. And it freaked me out. Yeah, here I am, <laughs> 1999. And I was like, wait, um. it, it didn't, I didn't realize until three or four years later, speaking in front of a few hundred people sharing that story, that how narcissistic or egotistical or something or weird it was that it never occurred to me that people wouldn't be Googling me. I just wanted to make sure that at least 50% of the results were on the top page on the first, the first page of results. <laughs> so that was part of my distinctiveness. What do I do? So I got the website and I started blogging about, I read 50 to 75 books a year. So I was, I, I put little summaries of the books that I did back in 99. Another thing that happened was um, I went through coach training and I want to be everything to everyone, which I think a lot of solopreneurs, they know the skills that they have and they know how it can be adapted and fit to different, situations. So it makes it very hard for us to express what we can do because people just hear general vague generalities instead of meaningful specifics. And uh, in coach training, they said, you have to niche. And so I was looking, I didn't want to, I mission, vision, leadership. That's what I love doing, purpose. But the um, background on my resume was fundraising. I did nonprofit fundraising. I started training people well. People liked what I had to say and invited me back. And simple things that I did were revolutionary for them. Spreadsheets that I used to quantify my work proved to be really, really meaningful for them. So I, I, I branded as fundraising coach. And in the process of that branding, this is the other really tangible thing for listeners. I asked the people, this felt very vulnerable, but I asked people who knew me, when you think of me, as I know this sounds you know, incredibly like I have a big ego or something, but when you think of me, what do you think of? And the two things that came out were bow ties and coffee. Um, I try to tell where my coffee beans are from based on the taste profile in my mouth. And I'm a coffee nerd and bow ties were something. I went through a, a slight necktie phase in college, but I've been doing bow ties since I was three years old.
0: Yes. That's when you went off on an errant way. I know. I know. Some people, to out their the dark hair. Side some people grow
2: some people do drugs or partying or not. <laughs> I did the winds or not. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Half and full. Um, <laughs> went all out. I was a wild and crazy college student, um, but so that the bow ties and the business and the uh, coffee was interesting because my wife ended up building my first website, and we used the bow t- the uh, coffee beans as a background. She did just it was something, and it, even on my contact form to this day on that side it says "Send bow ties and coffee too," and then it has my address and all um but the the bow ties was was interesting because I knew that was something it, to the point where i a graphic designer just made fundraising Coach logo with a bow tie in it um. It really was something that people resonated with, and I, it stuck out and made me distinctive. So I used Moo cards. Are you familiar with those? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I loved Moo cards. I had a little sliver of a the little sliver ones, and it had me with a bow tie on one side and my contact information on the other. And this, we we're at a social media breakfast in Maine, and this uh, marketing firm Pulp and Wire. We we're doing like the speed dating, going from table to table, talking to experts. And they saw my card and they immediately said, "Why don't you have a die cut card that's a bow tie? You can do this." You can, you know, so I now, as you know, have bow tie business cards and it's the, it's not only distinctive as as who I am, but it gives people joy to get my card. It's so fun to be at conferences where people want your card and they're asking you, or they'll show up. I'll, I'll send, I'll do something and they'll show up with bow ties on. I've had entire teams that I've been doing, going to do trainings, have bow ties on, (laughs) like meet me at the door with all, all these strap on bow ties. Yeah. so. I, I think it's a it's a process of being intentional and curious about wh- what my perspective is and also um, having other people reflect back what fits. Uh, but I, you can grow out of this too. This is part of the thing that was happened to me over the uh, over years of fundraising coach. I found that I went from talking to boards and CEOs, the budget makers, mm-hmm. to the budget spenders. It became more and more technical. Uh, it became more um, and I knew this because I started hearing people saying, I can't afford you as opposed to we're gonna get you whatever it costs. Right, so that's where I know realized my my curiosity helped because I realized my branding is off and brought somebody else in to look at my stuff and I didn't put leadership anywhere. So, it's been an iterative process and it's um, the I think it's always part of the excitement and part of the frustration is it's always changing. Yes, uh, because yeah. when you choose something that identifies you like the bow tie, I can't no I can no longer show up on stage in a t shirt. You know, I have video calls, I have to be prepped to be but in Mark, costume. But Mark, come
0: on. You would never do that anyway. I, even if bow tie no... wasn't part of it. Well, <laughs> I, do have screen you. Print-
2: I have bow ties, sc- screen printed bow ties on t shirts just in case.
0: <laughs> of course you do.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny when I'm in a small town, when I live in a small town and I walk down the street with a t shirt, people don't even know me. But when I passed a church, I never wore a bow tie because that wasn't the vibe I wanted in the church. I wanted to have a different, much more come as you are sort of feeling. And I didn't yeah. want to be, ha- have that off putting nature of this which it was well, interesting here comes
0: corporate mark Coach yeah, exactly mark. <laughs> <Yeah>. or uptight
2: <laughs> anal retentive yeah whatever home brewer mark wait he, he <laughs> brews his own mark. beer what so that's it now it was beer <laughs> coffee and uh uh bow ties
0: oh my gosh that's you know <laughs> were there I, I... were there helpful
2: th- helpful things in there yeah
0: yeah that was good well I, I think what that did for my listener is that gave them some visual cues on how you've expressed your, your brand through those types of, of things. But what I want to go back to is when you were talking about generalists yes, and how your clients started asking you to do other things and it got you to get out of your, you know, comfort, comfort zone and learn new things. But I also think that it's, it's the, um, it's the heart and soul of your, your book, uh, The Surprising Gift of Doubt, because, and this is just my kind of like what I'm getting from it. And what I want to say about that is when you're asked to do something that is outside of your, you know, like what you're thinking that they want, you know, your intention, and you're like, okay, I want to help these people. So you expand your ability to serve them. The doubt that comes in is in your capacity to serve them. Mm. So it's almost like there's this this kind of like un- groundswell of doubt that's that's going on when something like that, you're confronted with something like that, right, which is all in your own head. But here's the thing. What I get from you, Mark, is that you're uh, the quintessential teacher because of how you were raised and your interests in doing the kind of research, reading, reading, yeah. reading, sharing what you're learning with people. Um, getting into areas that you felt were strength areas for you. And, you know, let me tell you what, fundraising, going and asking people for money is probably <laughs> – because you're not really giving them anything so when you're fundraising. Fun. But, yeah, it's you're right. It's not something that people, you know, like, I want to go to college and learn how to be a fundraiser, you know. <laughs> I, that's what I had one
2: coach tell me and, and one donor both at separate times say, wow, you ask for money for people, large sums of money, and you give them nothing in return. I can't think of anything scarier than Anything
0: that. more painful? <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd rather be a Navy SEAL. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> but the reason why I wanted to point this out and have you talk about this is because when I look at, like, I've had the same experience in my business because I, I do know a lot of different things. You know, I've just had a really diverse uh, career journey in working for newspapers, printing companies, advertising agencies, client mm. side, you name it. I mean, I was the maker. I was the leader, um, director, you know, the the bookkeeper for everything. So when I started my own business, I was like, oh, crap, I did all these things. Where do I, you know, what do I settle on? Because right. I have to, like you say, pick a niche, you know, I was like, oh, pick a niche, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, you know, marketers have just messed us up so bad. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> You're but here. when you think about it is just like you were commenting about your messaging, you need to be able to connect with people. You need to be able to communicate who you are and what you do in such a way that the people that need you go, ah, there's the guy right. or ah, there's the girl. And then they go and they they engage you. But unless we do that in a clear way, which is, you know, one of the things that i focus on in in the work that I do is helping clarify that message, you know, like Donald Miller's story brand kind of message. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that is lost on people and it's hard for us to do for ourselves, which is why we kind of have to have help doing it because we don't have objectivity. Well, but, one of the
2: challenges with that is that some of the things that we're talking about here aren't really, pr- like for me, the branding with the bow tie, the coffee, that doesn't tell people how I help them. It just makes me no. stand out in their mind. And so one of my best friends Correct. for years said, I don't know what you do. I know this person does special events. I know this person does one thing. You're kind of a generalist. So it's not like I had it all figured out all all the way along, but it's a refining process of choosing to not be a victim of other other people's inability to read my messaging and realizing maybe I'm not communicating clearly. Maybe they're not dumb Yeah, Yeah. I can't (laughs) read my wife's mind after 25 years. Why would I expect a a prospect to do that? But the fundraising helped. And I think sales helps too, because there's a driven metric. You're trying to reach a certain number of dollars of revenue or or fundraising. And for me as a com- competitive person, anyway, that gave me some motivation to kind of adapt my messaging and try to figure out how do I speak the dialect of the person that I'm in front of? How do I be mm-hmm. totally authentic, yep. have complete integrity and speak as clearly as possible? Uh, and so that forced me to cut through some of the nerdiness that I have of Going into the whole background, talking all about the strategy and the, the, <laughs> the, and the beginning of the world, the ancient Sumerians wanted beer. So they got together and created cities and those cities created these things. Yeah. To, yeah. No, people don't care unless they care. And then you'll find that out later, but they want to know how to, how do I solve the, the pain that's in front of me? Uh, and that was another challenge for me is I like selling prevention. I like creating systems that keep us from getting in problems. Most people aren't, aren't at that. And myself included three fingers pointed back we're not looking for a solution unless we have pain. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, oh, my life is great. What else can I prevent? It's how do I get this you know, pain out of my, into my well neck? <laughs> so,
0: yeah. Well, I, I, I think what I was trying to get to in my meandering way uh, in commenting about being a generalist and you being asked back into companies and tying it in with the bow tie and all these things mm. that people seem to really connect with is they get an experience of who you are, and they like who you are. You've yes. built that trust. You've built that relationship. So it's not what you do. It's not the problem you solve. It's who you are, how you show up, how you make them feel when you're around. You know, even if you're just sitting in the room listening to them, they feel a certain way. Absolutely. And this is what I mean by personal branding and be 1000% you. So what they do is because they've been left with that experience of Mark Pittman, who he is, what happens when he's in the room or when he's on Zoom or whatever it is on stage. And they want more of that because they've invested in you because you've invested in them and so on. So that's all the relationship stuff, right? So of course, they're going to ask you, hey, Mark, we've got some leaks in the bathroom. Is there anything you can do to help us out with
2: that? (laughs) It's actually, my friend Vin Jane was saying that too, that people want to be in your presence, you make you give them experience, you help them feel a certain way, and they want to be in your presence. And um, I hadn't I wasn't providing people a way to charge for that. And he had to go through that same process with with one of his mentors where they said they so he created three days of intensives where people came in um, for me, though, but you're right, it's the, the I've got this I just need this couch adjusted. Could you come over? Because I yeah. there's something life-giving about you. Or they um, come
0: to us when they need a resource that they know we can't do, but they come to us because they think we know someone who yes. can help them with that. Mark, do you know a good plumber?
2: <laughs> which is really hard because I as with all the people I know, I don't often have that kind of out-of-the-box sort of network where I can say, oh yeah, this person can do that for you, which is I don't know that I really want to help and serve, but yeah, that's a really good point. The experience is so important. And I think one of the, one of the privileges of being a solopreneur, there's a lot of risks. One of the privileges is we get to craft our environment around our, our desires. So for me as a coach, I get to help people in the moment mm -hmm. with their problems that they're facing or as a speaker, I get to give them, you know, really some strategies and things that will help them and make them feel great. And then I don't have to implement it. I can get out of the way and let them do it on their own. Well, that's also the curse of
0: the consultant, which is why consultants have such a stigma and they're so maligned because they'll come in and go, oh, look at all this stuff that you got screwed up. Well, here's how you go fix it. (laughs) Bye-bye.
2: But, and I've done both. I've been the person that had to fix it and I've been the person that's helped point out things. And so that's why I like what I do. And that's why I Mm. like coaching because I wanted to be, I'm an extrovert. I know it's hard to believe that. I'm an extrovert probably, but I'm an extrovert and I love travel. So I tried to create a job or a role for myself that involved getting the extrovert out while I'm not at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's part of being distinctly and authentically me, uh, whereas I'm, there well, are plenty of other, other people that don't want that. As introverts, yeah, and, they could have different, different desires entirely, which is great. And what I notice about you just in this
0: conversation is you're very strategic about choosing your lane. You know, from from the get-go, you were like, this is what I, you know, I need multiple streams of income. And then what you just said here about, you know, you want to travel and things. So that is the wonderful thing about being a solopreneur is we get to decide and design how yeah. we want our lifestyle to be as it's expressed through the work we do. And that's why I love working with lifestyle solopreneurs because that's the priority, not the the money machine, right?
2: Right. And so- Oh, um, that's so true because there are times when we have to do things that we, or we, we feel we have to. I would say we, I don't like being a victim. So I'll be intentional about not saying that. There are times I found myself doing things that I don't like doing or taking on clients that my wife knows are not life-giving and are gonna suck me dry but I, want, I, I felt the pressure to pay the bills more than to live the lifestyle. And or,
0: that happens. And that yeah. brings me back to the theme of this season, which is mm-hmm. bravely being 1,000% you and your business. And I think that many of us, when we start out, and, and I'll, to use your expression, point the fingers back to me, <laughs> in my business, what I did was I kept operating how I operated when I was in corporate. So when I left corporate, I just kept doing the same thing. It's just I was doing it from home instead. Mm -hmm. And it took me a really long time to break that habit and to get out of the mindset of, you know, the doer and the, you know, like this whole, like, where's my boss, you know, (laughs) telling me what to do kind of thing. And the report, you know, the accountability and the measurement, all those things that come along with corporate. And. I finally, in let's see, uh, started my business in 2006. It was about 2009 that I was like, okay, I need to codify some of the things that I've discovered in being in business for myself because all of a sudden I had access to behaviors of my clients and problems of my clients that I suddenly had the freedom to solve the way I thought they could be solved best, as opposed Mm -hmm. to following the corporate paradigms and processes and things that were, you know, for whoever I worked with, you know, this is how we do it here. And I was like, you know, like, you could hear the angels singing, oh, you know, it's like, oh, my gosh. And so I'm so creative. You know, I've got a lot of creative energy. So I'm always wanting to brainstorm and make things. I mean, that's... (laughs) You know, it's gotten me off into so many different projects. You know, it's it's like I'm, I'm ADD with my business. But <laughs> being able to come up with my own, uh, you know, my own Venn diagram, my own process, my own, you know, I even rebranded my company Better 3, which stands for better understanding, better communication equals better relationships. And that's wow. what everything I do is based on those three principles. And so in coming up with that, that was really It took me many years to not only give myself permission, break the corporate habit, uh, but also be vocal and be strong in believing that Mm. my approach works. And I had evidence, but I wasn't confident with it until I had, you know, as far as being able to talk about it, express it or whatever, because I never want to be like self-righteous about things like my way or the highway kind of thing. Right. Because that's very corporate. (laughs) You know what I mean?
2: So that would definitely be out of sync. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so was it other people
2: seeing? Was it what what helped move you past that? Because I still find I'm the self employed individual whose boss is a real jerk uh, at times. I don't allow myself the permission. I created a lifestyle where I can go out and have coffee. Well, not in a pandemic, but I could leave and have coffee in the middle of the day or go out you know, for time with my wife, but I don't give myself permission for that. I still have this at times. I, I'm better, but I still have this eight to five mentality of I need to yeah. be sitting, you know, button seat and all this. Well, other that's if,
0: stuff. if that's the case, that's conditioning you got when you were very, very young.
2: If it's I was embedded. conditioned when I was young. <laughs> Shush you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, but what it was, is. Was, <laughs> it, was it you? You said you had the background. You saw the fruit of it with mm. others, and and you also went down and codified it all. What was it that helped you to actually own it as your own? Uh, that that there's a place that you could speak with authority about it.
0: The the results. Okay. Because when I would get on with a new prospect, and it's so funny because people would always come to me. I'd get referred as, oh, yeah, Terry does great websites because, you know, I came from that doer world. And so people would come to me and they'd and this is where Better 3 all came from. It's just so cool how my clients kind of helped cultivate my, yeah. my current brand. But they'd come to me and, and they'd say, I need a website. Uh, you know, and like, okay, great. So let's talk about your customer. And they'd be like, "Okay, no, this is wanna, who I they are and what they do." <laughs> yeah, no, but they they couldn't answer the yeah. questions that I was asking. So I was like, "Hmm, let's tr- let's see what we can do." So I started doing a lot of qualitative research, where I would get on the phone and interview my clients' customers. Now, granted, I just want to say that I didn't do consumer right. work; I did business to business. So I was in I was kind of in that professional context. I would call. You know, like I had one client that was a, a clinician and she was a consultant for Baldridge and her clients were CEOs of major healthcare organizations. Okay. So I'd get on the phone with CEOs of major healthcare organizations and I'd say, Yo, yo, man, what's going on? <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that. No, but
2: I get it. Yeah, yeah. No, I <laughs> found I would that ask... to be incredibly helpful. I, I do that before talks. I will I had one group that forced me to do this on Cape Cod because if you speak wrong on Cape Cod, they know that you're not talking about Cape Cod. Human yep. beings are fundamentally different on Cape Cod, Massachusetts than they are in the rest of the world. So they gave me the top 12 influencers in their market and they had me interview them in 10, 15 minute interviews so I could pick up the lingo and, and also I ended up driving people to their event. And it's something I've used ever since where I, yeah. I am constantly yeah, interviewing smart. my best prospects because I'm learning from them. So I And I know what you mean that.
0: because I spent a summer in Dennis, so... It's on Cape. You were on Cape, (laughs) not off Cape. Yeah.
2: But I also have hired a coach that, um, the, the, one of the things that was amazing to me he offered was what, give me six of your top influencers in your sector. And I I will, sorry, I will ask them, what can Mark do to double his revenue in the next year? And these are people I would never ask that myself, but the feedback they gave back for me to me was really, there was low hanging fruit that I wasn't taking advantage of because I just didn't see that as something I could offer. Um, so I love, like you said, about having your clients curate. Uh, my, the books, my book titles for Ask Without Fear and Surprising Gift of Doubt were both curated by my email list. I had ran contests to see which I... I and, and Ask Without Fear was not nearly as good. My title was The Real Simple Guide. I was all into the formula, R-E-A-L, mm. The Real Simple Guide to Asking for Money. And I thought I'd have all these real simple guides uh, for life and time management and stuff. But Ask Without Fear was a lot shorter to type. <laughs> 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 when i get tired of typing my own book title i realize no newspaper reporter is going to want to type this yeah no kidding so but i love so you're saying cura- letting them yeah curate it. and, That's and really it good. was
0: it was really just a a matter of doing the right kind of work and, and giving myself permission to find the best practice and what i believed was important like you know i'm very big into cx anyway so it was like why are we doing this? If you want more business, then you got to understand what your customer wants. It was just like, yes. so logical to me, <laughs> but they just didn't know how to extract that from their, their customers. And so I helped them do that. And that enabled me to write messaging. And, and this one example I was given, it's one of my favorite case studies because she, you know, this uh, clinician came to me and she's like, okay, I want to be, you know, she needed a website, which was fine. Um, she says, I want to be the top result on Google. And I'm like, okay, great. Well, let's Let's, you know, get into it. So I did the research and found that no one searched for her services or her type of services on Google. (laughs) I'm like, Hmm. why do you want to go through the years of developing SEO and, you know, paying ads and doing all this work? Oh, my gosh. For an ever-changing algorithm that was like a crapshoot anyway, you know, to be the top results at Google. And she was like, well, if I just came, came out and said that, Without evidence to back it up, she would have been like, excuse me, she's a clinician. Of course, she needs evidence. So it was after I did that qualitative research and I found out that every single one of those CEOs who hired her, because I interviewed her existing customers as well as prospective ones that didn't choose her. um, And Mm. the ones that had chosen her, I said, well, how did you find out about her? And they're like, well, I just picked up the phone and called so-and-so CEO at this other health, healthcare organization who had just gone through a Baldridge right. journey and said, who did you use? <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's how CEOs operate, right? They want, right.
2: let's just make it happen. Right. Well, and that and was, so, so when it comes to this conversation, that was part of my decision too. Uh, I have had, I think you've probably had this too, constant pressure from c- customers to, to make me the Walmart of my space to, you know, commoditize my stuff and make it really cheap by the hour or sell, sell hourly rates And one, I had one, one client tell me, or uh, say to somebody else, there are Walmarts of coaching and consulting, but Mark is a boutique. Mm -hmm. And that made me like, I I would prefer, I made a conscious, yeah, it was conscious decision at that point of, I'd prefer people to say, yeah, I could have gotten anyone, but how did you get Mark Pittman? Like I wanted to, and so then I started studying what are the things that make people go, wow, what are, what are the certifications? If any, what are the is it writing a book is it speaking at certain stages is it where where do I need to position myself and also internally like you were saying uh, earlier what is it internally for me that gives me the credibility to feel like maybe I do have something unique to share and for me it was like my first book getting published by a publisher as opposed to by myself i knew i could do that i i've published now eight books and two of them with three of them with publishers five without mm-hmm. and it's just i can i can put a book together i know how to run it through a printer or send it to a print shop but to have somebody else validate it made made a difference to me. Uh, And so that helped. It's a both and it's internal and external where the validation
1: comes from. Terry will be right back with the rest of the show in just a moment.
0: You know, if you'd like to stop doing what you don't want to do anymore and do more soul connecting work that only you can do, it's time to take action. You know, being more you is not just building a personal brand. It's also not showing everything you're doing every minute of every day to whoever will follow you. What today's more human marketplace wants is the real you. They want what only you can deliver in the unique way you deliver it. So don't sell yourself short. Give your audience the connection and the solutions they're longing for, and here's how. When you sign up for my free Pappy Club journal, every Monday I'll show you how to simplify your marketing, Boost your personal brand and bravely be 1,000% you so you can attract your ideal clients and get the engagements you love to deliver. Go to tpappy.com and sign up to get inspiring audio, video, and written content I personally curate just for you. Let's simplify your world and show your 1,000%. Sign up at tpappy.com and I'll see you next Monday in the Pappy Club Journal. And for my listener, if you're a self-publisher, Please don't take that personally. <laughs>
2: Not at all. The self-published the self-publishers are awesome. I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, no, no. It was. The, but a the, lot of people think
0: that way, Mark. Oh, just FYI. Okay,
2: so thank you for saying that. No, for me it was.
0: And your publisher is amazing. So you know, well, I'm a that too. That I, to, I, the last uh, publisher I have is totally know, amazing. Page um, Two Books. Yeah. Jesse Finkelstein is a, is an amazing human being. So she's been on this show and I love okay, her to pieces. Yeah, yeah And I love all her authors. <laughs> self-published
2: books are often a very smart choice for authors because it gets you it gets you out there through the gatekeepers. It gives you something credible to work with and to share with people, something that adds value to people long after you could possibly be there. So there's a lot of good reasons to do that internally. Well, two things happen. One with the first book, I just needed somebody else to say, you got it, Mark, go for it. I'll publish your book. And then with this one, with page two, I learned all the de- different editing things that I've missed in my previous books. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so with this one, mm-hmm. I finally have the right editing team that yeah. is and you know forcing what? me to it's be a... more m- myself.
0: And you know what else? And and why this is a good quote unquote marriage with this, this yeah. current publisher, Page Two Books, is because they're a boutique publisher.
2: Great They're, they're connection. a hybrid, so but they're true. a boutique
0: publisher. Now- because they're being so successful and they're growing so fast, they are going to be a big boutique at some point. <laughs> but much to Jessie's and her partner's chagrin, uh, excitement and chagrin, right. like, oh, no, you know, with growth comes all kinds of risk and and uh, I know. I keep saying, should challenges. I refer this
2: author to you? Because I, I've yeah. just referred a whole bunch of other authors to you. Is that okay?
0: <laughs> That's how it happens when you have a great experience, yeah. you know, and, and they are. They're doing amazing things uh, at Page Two Books, so... But I want to I circle back to, mm. to the topic, which is really around that bravery and the mm. courage to step into being yourself. Now, for me, the example I gave was about codifying what I thought was a, a great way to create a message and distinction and so on. And that yeah. has evolved to, you know, how I focus on a thousand percent business of you, you know, around solopreneurs. It's just so important to me. And I want to talk about how you see that being expressed or challenged or not being done in the world, because so many solopreneurs are scared to death Mm. about not getting business if they don't conform to what they think is the perceived way of being in doing business. Like I know a solopreneur years ago when I was uh, in my first years, they uh, excellent consultant, well, well known in the CX hospitality world, and they wanted their like website to reflect a business, like it was a big consultancy, when it was just one dude. And I'm like, yep. okay, you know, back then I wasn't fighting for my 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 model and stuff. And I was like, I was just a doer, right? Okay, you want that? Okay, I'll make it look real pretty, blah blah blah. blah. And and it was so funny because later on they came back and asked for a solopreneur, like a business of mm-hmm. you uh, website and and brand, which which I created for them. Um, so that is so funny because I've
2: had that in fundraising, fundraising coaches, me hanging over the top with my arms crossed. And (laughs) it was a very much a Mark Pittman brand where one of the things that clients kept telling me was, I want to hire you, but I'm not in a nonprofit, but you've got the skills I need as a leader. And Mm. I can't convince the people that are going to be paying the bill that I, you've got what I need. So could you give me a bland corporate site? And so that's where wow. Conquer Leadership Group came after five of the five people. They're basically saying, please make it easy for me to pay you because <laughs> right now you're making it yeah, really, really I wanna, hard. I want to stop you right there <laughs> yeah. because
0: it's like th- that. there's an opportunity for some learning here, right? Mm. So that request of them. So they've basically I'm trying to unpack this in my own head. They're basically perceiving you a certain way and they present you to what. The corporate people with the budget yep. are used to seeing, you know, McKinsey or, you know, Deloitte or some consultant from a big firm. Right. Sure. And so with your expertise, you've built that personal relationship, that personal brand that mm-hmm. they know you for the amazing work that you do. But for them to sell it, they had to sell it through a website that positioned you visually yeah. and through copy. That to me is insane. I'm sorry. <laughs> because like yes. is that all it takes for a corporate leader or a corporate, you know, sourcing person to be convinced that someone is worthy. And so my challenge back to you is Well, nobody
2: ever get fired for doing what was done last year. I mean that was that's part of the CYA mentality that is in corporate, as you understand. I, yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I got it. I totally got it. And what I'm trying to do is step above that. <laughs> Good, please. Right? And so in this conversation. Yeah, yeah. And so what I'm saying to you is, can you equip the fan to better position you and sell you and present yes. you versus you having to go through the gyrations of creating this fake identity? Just to be, because when they get the real deal, it's going to be a disconnect for those corporate. Oh no, moves. I
2: couldn't. I didn't just create a fake identity. I created. I rebrand. Yeah, it was a birth of a new part of what I do with concrete Okay, group, so, but 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 you still made that change. Now, yes. granted, granted, and I, I don't want this
0: to come across as judging what you did, but I'm just trying to poke <laughs> at. This is yeah, what I do. Yeah, no, this is great. I can't help it. What I want to poke at is like, okay, so this could have also been just an elevation. Or an evolution of where you were in your growth journey as a, a brand, right. right? You know, presenting yourself maybe a little less colloquially mm-hmm. because they're going to get the real you anyway, regardless of, right. of whether you've got a site that looks like this or like this, right? Yeah. Because you've got the advocate who's who's wanting to bring you on for for the reasons of your value, not necessarily of what your website looks like right. or, you know, are you the corporate guy or not? So I thought that was really interesting. I just wanted to kind well, of poke at that. i seen it
2: sartorially too in my clothing. I had tried to be the rumple ap- rumpled ap- academic when I lived in Maine. I'd have my khakis and my bean boots and my bow tie. Yeah. And I figured the bow tie dress, dressed me up in my bean jacket. Um, I noticed that as I got into suits and then a custom suit, I got better results from groups that I spoke to and people mm-hmm. I worked with one-on-one. Um, and it was just one of those, okay, it it was a similar, that's still me, but it's a different polish of me or a different presentation of me. And, um, and it was a decision that wasn't, didn't feel like a moral decision. It didn't feel like I am selling out. I'm doing something that I'm not myself. I, I actually like dressing in suits too. So, okay. If that makes you feel more comfortable about having me talk to your CEO, I will be glad to play that game and cash that check or deposit that fee. That's fine. Yeah. And the absolutely. results are better too, which is weird. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why. I, I think it's for all of uh, Yeah. I, I think we all look for cues. And I think it's because we probably go to classrooms and go to coaching, you know, on teams. And we have experiences through life where other people are telling us cues of what's acceptable and how to succeed or how, to, how, how we are earning our keep. And yeah. then when we become solopreneurs, all of that supervision is gone. And we're mm-hmm. left to our own devices. And probably the people that you work with are similar to the solopreneurs I work with that they're really intentional and wonderful human beings that are very, very aware of their pitfalls. Yeah. And yeah. so that's what makes it scary. So getting that office or having a stationary thing or you know, or getting the you know, the the trappings of corporate life makes them feel legit. And for some reason, I think there's a transition period too. I know when I started working from home, it was important to be able to laughingly say bye to my family. I'm going to work now. And then go down the stairs to to my office um, just to have that demarcation. I think there was a, there was a, a, a phase that, that needed to happen. You know, 20 mm. years later, I think we've grown out of that phase, but yeah, I don't wave been... anymore, but I still close the door.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't wave anymore. For my listener, Mark yeah, was waving. <laughs> I was. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. It's really interesting. And I think that, you know, when I don't often like to pigeonhole or or classify by by generation but i do know
2: that you and i are both baby boomers and actually i'm gen that, x sorry i just present as a boomer i'm a total xer
0: <laughs> but we're very xers uh, are also very okay very influenced by and i'm only a boomer by 2 years by the way okay. so i'm like right on the bottom so you're probably right on the top but and my, I was raised, my point yeah, is steeped in a boomer you know the, the generation sure. of millennials that's to me going to save the world as far yeah. as i'm concerned they're bringing in a whole new echelon of of visual brand hmm. that you know i'm i'm really thrilled and curious to see how that evolves quote unquote the i mean corporate america is is dying I really think that the millennial generations and the generations that follow are are really retrofitting and changing and just getting rid of the old paradigms that you and I were so influenced by, by our parents, right? And by just pop culture and TV sitcoms and books we read. And I mean, it was just coming at us from everywhere. So, you you know, it's like, sorry, you know, we're just kind of like we're the fish in the fishbowl, right? And so I love the fact that because you know we always have the the neuroscience of you know how we survive the lizard brain all yeah. that stuff that's always keeping us you know social you know being accepted by our community and so so we survive right so there's always going to be that going on for regardless of generation that's just how the human brain is but when we move to the frontal you know prefrontal cortex where we're actually being intentional and deliberate and more consciously aware of of our thoughts, our conditioning, and we evolve and grow and so on, we can make more deliberate choices. And I'm seeing this happen mm-hmm. with millennial generations. And there's so much more freer about that expression, Yes, freer about that, that whole shift, like, you know what, that just doesn't work for me. So I'm going to go this direction. And yeah, it's and it's so not funny. because
2: of money or trappings that we were raised to, to see as important. It was because of values. Um, yes. You, yeah. you, you said you espouse these values. I'm not seeing them at all in my work, so I'm going to walk with my feet. I'll find somebody else to work for,
1: which I think yeah, is great. Yeah. I think
2: it's forcing corporations that were kind of modeled after assembly lines mm-hmm. um, and schooling that was modeled after assembly Thank lines. Thank you, I Henry think, Ford. Which brought great. <laughs> I think there's a lot of good things that happened. But I think what millennials are bringing back and Z and um, are the re rehumanizing. Why Mm -hmm. why are we here? What are we doing? And I think the pandemic has been really helpful for teams. Absolutely. hundred percent. And all the horrificness. I'm not trying to, you know, reframe that or, or, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever. Uh, But it's amazing to me how people are having to reassess how they quantify work and what they quantify is important because there are some bosses that are saying, no, you have to keep your Zoom channel open all day. So I see you're at your desk. That I've wow. seen reports of that. Yeah. Really? So, yeah. Wow. If that doesn't drive you to be a solopreneur. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although really? we treat ourselves that way sometimes too, at, at different periods of our life, depending on our stress levels too. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's a good And note, listener, that
0: back. his fingers were pointed to himself. Like all 10 of them. <laughs> 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 uh. Well, I think that also touches on the whole bra- bravery around being mm. 1000% you. And there's so much freedom that comes with being a solopreneur about doing that but i don't think that enough solopreneurs are actively doing it because they haven't understood the distinction of it they haven't mm-hmm. given themselves permission whether they're still in the mindset of their corporate gig or whether they just feel that if they really show who they truly are and speak their truth and you know be a thought leader and opinionated and and you know a contrarian that that's going to off-put people. Let me tell you what, if you do express that, that's going to attract the people that align with that, that actually Mm. respect you for taking a a position and putting a stake in the ground. And I really want to emphasize that, that solopreneurs recognize that what they're doing individually and uniquely is individual and unique to them, and they're the ones that have been blessed with those skills, those talents, those experiences that make up their, what they're outputting. And so go out and output with the people that appreciate that and, and know it. But the only way they're going to be able to do that is if they express it.
2: Well, that's, so what you said is there's so much there and I hope people (laughs) replay that again, because, um, (laughs) thank you. What we're, what I think what many of us try to do is be all things to all people or be the common vague generality that can, service as many people as possible. But, um, my friend, Phil Jones, I'm not sure. Do you know, Phil? I don't. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. What to say is his first book, but he asked in one of his trainings, it's on audible. He asked how many people could you serve? How many customers are you looking for? And I don't think a lot of us have done that numbers work to know what my capacity is. Mm -hmm. Um, and so the great picture he uses, how many, if you're having a, uh, a dinner party, you know how many seats you have at the table.
0: Mm, I like that. And how many
2: seats at the table do you have? And then you can get really picky, like you were saying, of, oh, I only want certain types of people at my table. And that allows you to be that contrarian thing. I think it's breaking free of feeling like I have to be liked by everybody to I have to find my village. I, have to, I, get, to, I get to work with the people that enjoy and resonate with me and give me life. Um, and there will be, I think there's always that tension of this isn't going to work. This is never going to work until you start finding people that it works with. And then you can build up your confidence again, like you were saying, and, and own it, own your distinctiveness.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it's really, <laughs> you know, it's interesting because we've been just kind of talking about a lot of things around this topic, but they're all valid and they're all, um, you know, th- there's so many impacts. And that's why, you know, I'm just getting into the season and and just getting everybody's different opinion about being courageous. You know, what does it really take to step in and own who you are and what you're up to? And I think that the first step has got to be, you know, just giving yourself permission and then recognizing where am I limiting? Where am I not being fully me? Why am I hiding? That was one of my big things is I hid because I wanted my clients to look good and I didn't want to, not that I didn't want to take credit and necessarily, but I wanted more for for them like I was so I sometimes I care more about their business than they did yep. quite frankly Absolutely. and and so I stayed in the background and even to this day I don't give my own business the love and TLC and marketing support that I give and create for my clients yep. <laughs> it's so ironic
2: <laughs> It is I've I've actually put in a 2 hour every 2 weeks uh block of time where I, I it's working on the business it's looking back over it, taking a step back mm. kind of get I think some author put it getting in the balcony to make sure the right dance is being danced um mm. but that because I and I have to do structures like that I have to block that time on my calendar and it gets moved a little bit sometimes but yeah that is a it's a it's so ironic
0: <laughs> so so when you think of um this just kind of popped into my Great. head so when you think of solopreneurs yeah. and if if you have some that you know in mind, some consultant friends or trainers or speakers that you know, and you would like them to more bravely step into who they really are as far as how they're presenting themselves to the world in their in, and through their business, what would you want to say to them as encouragement or coaching?
2: My dream to say that to them would be, to and all those places where you feel like you're not enough, you don't measure up, you're mm. falling short, you're broken, you don't have what it takes. Taking each taking each of those individually and asking yourself instead, what if I'm perfect for this situation?
0: Oh my God.
2: What if I'm perfect for this addressing this? Mm. I love that. And then owning that because we each have a different perspective. We each have a different I like you was I had a, had a consultant look at my CRM and they said why are you doing this people say yes I want to know more about you mark and you immediately send them to six other experts in my automated <laughs> sequence it was all of this and here's a great person and here's a great person and here's a great person they just said that we want great. to have coffee with you yeah <laughs> It was my way of serving was like, there's a lot of great people out here because I live in a world of abundance. I do believe there are a lot of great people out here. I don't believe I'm the center of the world, but they said, that's great. And that's a great place to work from. But they just said they want to meet you. (laughs) So honor their commitment. And then later on, introduce them to your friends.
0: (laughs) No, no, I want you. No, no, I want you. Yeah. Stop it. I want you.
2: It was really, it took somebody outside the looking at me and say, they've just, just signed up for you and they hear nothing from you. You're just bragging about, not bragging, you're, you're promoting all these other people. And, and <laughs> I, 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 I would rather be that way. I'd rather be sharing all the, <laughs> it
0: sounds like you you should have gone into a different business as a promoter or something. Right, right, right. Exactly.
2: <laughs> 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 I had a picture of the greatest show, <laughs> the, yeah, ring, there the ringleader know. there. <laughs>
0: Go spend money with these people, not me. <laughs>
2: yeah. Glad you came here. But before you spend money with me, go, <laughs> yeah. go get equipped by all these other people.
0: <laughs> well, you know, when we find somebody and and you and I both love to read and love to, you know, just kind of absorb uh, other thought leaders and so on. And, and it's just so inspiring. It feeds, you know, we're all feeding each other. You know, mm. we're all pulling, like a lot of my model comes from many different experts, just like what you talk about in, in mm. The Gift of Doubt. And um, <laughs> and it's just so funny because, yeah, we, we do. We pedestal them. When they're just like us, they still have all the foibles and the you know, drawbacks and the challenges so and the goofiness that we do.
2: <laughs> I've been thinking about that. There was an author that I met 25 years ago. And I thought that is what I want to do. That is the life I want. And I made a whole bunch of assumptions about their life. And I think what I'm experiencing now is very similar to what that author was experiencing. And it's not nearly as as uh as security filled as I expected it to be. Oh, that's too funny. It's just real life. I mean, yeah, we still we still get up, we still brush our teeth, we still make our own coffee, which is <laughs> why would it be different? But
0: yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, Mark, I'm going to wrap up our, our conversation because if we keep going, uh, I'll probably break my computer because <laughs> it won't be able to hold it all. <laughs> but this has been amazing. And and I love that we've spent this time uh, chewing on this topic and, and everything that you've contributed about, you know, your journey and branding and all the the things that you've learned and what you do. And um, and it's uh, just a wonderful. I love that last part, what you shared. Uh, it was just, yes, we are perfect. All of us are perfect as we are. And just stepping into that and owning that and just letting that fully express itself is really what mm-hmm. it is to be 1000% you. So thank you so much for being here today.
2: Well, thank you for doing all that you are to equip leaders too. I really appreciate your inviting me to speak to speak to that as well. Awesome.
0: Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you for joining me. You know, being a solo can be incredibly rewarding when you have the right guidance, resources, and community to help drive your business vision. The great news is that's exactly what you'll get with Simplify and Multiply.
1: You've just listened to another episode of the Simplify and Multiply show with Terry Pappy if you want to get free marketing and business development tips templates trainings and more head over to simplifyandmultiply.com and sign up learn how you can grow your business the easy way that's simplifyandmultiply.com to join our growing community of amazing talented solopreneurs out to simplify their business multiply their income and make a big impact in the solopreneur economy